Welcome to Shine On, the podcast where older people share stories. My name is Jaspreet Manda. In this podcast, we talk to creative older people in Leeds and find out about their lives. Today's episode is called Trailblazer, and it's a conversation with Caroline No. Caroline has always been at the forefront of social change. As an actor, she appeared in the West End in O Kilcutta and the Rocky Horror Picture Show, both the shows that were revolutionary in their time. Behind the scenes, she was artistic director of a disabled theatre company fighting for rights and accessibility. I met Caroline to find out about her extraordinary life and how she has blazed a trail through the arts world. When and how did you know that you wanted to sing and dance and act? Well, they couldn't stop me. I gave concerts. My nana and granddad, so my mother's parents, lived in Hare Hills, 11 Bexley Avenue to be precise. And when I visited there, you enter, and she had this hooped curtain that hang so that you could leave your boots or coat behind that and then you come into the room so it was a perfect setting for my concerts I just couldn't stop myself when I was still at an age where I couldn't read Mm -hmm. my brother had these things called comics and I would put them up because we had this thing called a piano and that is the start and ruin of my entire music career. Um, And I would put the comics up on the piano, so my feet are dangling, my legs are dangling. (laughs) I couldn't read, but the cartoons told a story, and so then I began telling the story with the help of the piano. Mm -hmm. So... um, We lived in Farsley, and there there was a very strong uh, church, the Stanningley Congregational Church, which still, of course, exists today. But they would put on shows. As an eight-year-old, I was on this stage. They completely hid the pulpit and built proper seats. I mean, they took it very seriously to make this not a house of worship, but a piece of theater. And enter me singing, Don't Dilly Dally on the Way. Mm. Now, that is a song that might not be familiar with you. But the fact that I might be able to conjure the opening of words and lines. um, My old man said, follow the van, but don't dilly dally on the way. How lovely. Anyway, at the end of that, this person in the audience, the curtains closed, the person in the audience shouted things, and they were shouting things and making a lot of noise. And my mother in the wings, oh, she was playing the piano, by the way. Uh Mm -hmm. Um, She then said, do it again, do it again, Mm -hmm. do it again. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And the curtains opened, and so I did it all again. So So I'm eight years old. My, my. Mm. We have some kind of a child prodigy in you. I mean, who, who just was born with the talent, right? Well, I was given the opportunity, yes. It was all the grown-ups around me that, that did all the stuff, 
garden mm -hmm. that allowed the little ones in. Absolutely. And my mother playing and me singing along and obviously having some kind of um, ability to remember words and sing songs over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, so clearly, um, Caroline, I think it's talent coupled with opportunity mm -hmm. and a lot of support, yes. right? Opportunity. Very supportive environment. Encouragement. My mother took me in the snow, talking of snow. This is nothing. I'm talking as an 11-year-old out on the outskirts of Bradford. Um, they were called the barnstormers. This woman was caring for her parents on a farm and she had a barn and she mm -hmm. turned the barn into a theatre and attracted all local youth to come there. It decides to snow high heavens. My mother still got me there. My I played my. an old witch in this story, oh but we did it. Um, then I went to high school and mm -hmm. happily, the boys' school next door had a tradition of putting on a Shakespeare in, um, shall we say, traditional fashion. That is, all mm -hmm. the boys play all the parts. That means boys wear frocks. Oh. Well, this enlightened drama teacher of the year, when I am 14 years old, mm -hmm. decides, no, he's had enough of that. It's about time we went next door to the girls' school and asked them to play the girls' part. So I auditioned with the entire school and mm -hmm. got the part of Ophelia. Oh. Now, as a 14-year-old, because this girl, apparently Ophelia, mm -hmm. is about 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And I do you remember, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but do you remember the name of the English tutor? Or the drama tutor at Roundy School who said, why not have girls over? Uh, we can research that. Uh, I believe his name was Mr. Silver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of the vintage of tutors. And so he will forgive me if I haven't got that correct. But he was a significant part in my creative opportunity. Um, it was, um, I had the English teacher tutor me in Shakespeare. Right. So as a 14-year-old, I actually understood what I was saying. Mm -hmm. Incredible level of, of um, coaching. Um, Absolutely. And then to perform acoustically. So in the world I've grown up into when you mm -hmm. now, people are rediscovering what doing things acoustically means. And That's I right. love that. That's right. I, I'm very pleased for that. And I must say, at an early age, Caroline, you discovered that drama and literature, or a literary text, how they go hand in hand, right? Totally. Yeah, because you, you said you played Ophelia. And to my mind, that's not a very easy part to play. She's not. She goes through rather a lot. And you're yes. quite right. The stability of my own dear parents meant I was able to investigate the shock of your father being killed by the, the man who is shunning you and sends you to a nunnery. Mm, that's right, yeah. I mean, from what I can remember, that's, that's really not an easy role to play. And then, sh and to my mind, again, Ophelia wilts in a way, you know. That she drowned, and, and so to have had an accident... Um, you know, uh, in terms of investigating the, the character, it was mm -hmm. very interesting to me that I had the ability to uh, present this um, shock um, 
singing uh, uh, the lament mm. to my father. And will he not come again? And will he not come again? How touching, how very touching. Was it difficult, Caroline, to learn the lines or uh, sort of to memorize the, the, the words of Ophelia, you know, at such a young age? I mean, Shakespeare is not easy in that sense. I think the process of memorizing, and this comes from my experience throughout the performing industry and being an educationist there and training a lot of actors and working in academies and being on the other side of the fence. But at this stage, when I say I had a, um, an English teacher who helped me understand, memorizing comes from you and your brain understanding Standing. what mm. on earth you are speaking about. That's right, yeah. And that in itself, you know, what a skill she gave to me. Now, like all skills, you, you can either run with it or um, I obviously got it. And, That's right. Um, it, it went on from there because I, I must. My heritage from Leeds was in 1967 when I was a humble 17-year-old Mm-hmm. In the sixth form mm-hmm. school, the boys' school um, called Foxglove decided to put on a production of Oliver, and they too were seeking, but this time throughout the whole city, to find someone to play the part of Nancy. Mm. Mm. And this is a production in their school hall with a live orchestra and mostly male characters. And I auditioned with the entire city and got the part of Nancy. Now, oh, lovely! Um, to be singing on a table, smoking a cheroot at the age of 17, singing to the back of the hall, that's the key to everything, singing to the back of the hall, above the orchestra, uh, playing this and part. And a tremendous act of rebellion. Well, the character again took me to investigate what a prostitute was, because really by then I didn't really understand what a prostitute, uh, yeah. shocking in terms yeah. of my self-knowledge. But that took me into that category and to love somebody who's just committed murder. It's, yes, you, you confront big issues when you, you put on you a musical. And so it would make sense that the musical theatre world has actually dominated my career. Mm. Yeah, thank you, Caroline. If we move a little ahead now into, let's say, uh, is it early 70s, when you go on to set up, I mean, something to my mind, which is absolutely path-breaking, you set up in United Kingdom a touring theatre called... Nomad Theatre. And I, I consider that to be really a high point at such a young age. So what was the impetus behind it? Well, I need to put you in the context of the 60s. And so, yes, to be a teenager during the 60s, oh, wow, wow, what a challenge. And I did first leave Leeds to study dance and drama. And I was now a qualified dance and drama a teacher, mm-hmm. educationist with a bachelor's degree, and guess what? The education system had no dance and no drama my, my. to go and teach in the schools, in the universities, 
in the wherever. So interesting that the education system was ahead of the game. But also the 60s was the revolution of artists manifesting themselves and doing the art uh, counter, you know, countering the the chocolate box uh, sort of coach brigades that were going to watch PAP at the repertory theatres. Um, there had to be big changes in uses of, of theatre and live art. And so many companies started to manifest. I married a guy who'd gone to Round Hay High School for boys. Mm -hmm. In fact, he had played Laertes. Okay. in the production of Hamlet. Hamlet. Absurd, absolutely absurd that you meet somebody when you're 14 years old and you end up marrying them and you start a theatre company. And so he had just studied at the very um, interesting university. Education in England and Europe was going through a time where people were speaking out, you mm -hmm. might remember. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, universities were where artists appeared for the first time. Pink Floyd, the tours of these, you know, the who, an, a natural kind of world of, of creative artists getting out there. And, and how long did uh, Nomad Theatre go on? Three years. Mm, and uh, we toured the country and we put on a four-hander version of Macbeth. Um, we went to... Uh, a psychotic kind of hospital mm -hmm. and did drama with the inmates because the creative mind can always unleash a whole kind of um, settlement of yourself in a very different way to Caroline, narcotics. Were you not scared? When you say psychotics, that's people with severe mental Correct. disorders. Correct. Correct. And that was the atmosphere in the early 70s, that the segregation was very profound in this country. And to take art into that environment, as we did, hmm, sitting around Must introducing... Must be absolutely path-breaking. It was. Um, we, we quietly got into it. Oh, and by the way, we were living in the countryside and mm -hmm. I organised the tours from a phone box. I'll just let that resonate for a moment, but it truly happened. And anyone who knows Nomad Theatre, and there are still people around who do, will go, yes. yes. So mm -hmm. it was Fringe before Fringe. Then I had a total contrast and did my first audition for the West End Mm -hmm. And I got my part. Now, here is a junction because my marriage is over, the theatre company has ended, and my name, Caroline Turton, remains, even though I had for a time been Mrs. Caroline Lee. Okay. When I meet my contract in the West End with this equity realisation, the union that, as an artist, you want to join, mm -hmm. but they were saying there's already a Caroline Lee... There's already a Caroline Turton. Oh. So in order to complete my contract, so a very kind of bureaucratic reason yeah. for a name change overnight. So I suddenly went, right, I'll just take the mad off Nomad and call myself Caroline. No, little did I know that within 18 months I would be touring in Japan with the Rocky Horror Show. Yes, that's right. I just wanted to ask you to take us into uh, the Japanese experience, you know, the Rocky Horror Show. And that is something which happens somewhere in mid-70s. Am I right? 
Correct. It started this year is the uh, 50th anniversary of the show, by the way. So it started in 73 and it left the country in 75 and went to Japan and went to New York. And it bombed in New York and it took off in Japan. So it was such a shocking culture uh, war in a way that we Mm -hmm. met. Um, However, it was extraordinary. And uh, we had uh, people embrace the story behind the story of Rocky Horror Show. How many shows last that length of time? Hmm? Mm-hmm. That in 2023, they're, they're celebrating 50 years of... That's uh, right. Hmm? Yeah, so uh, next year will be the 50th anniversary in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean to say it's been running all along mm-hmm. for 50 long mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Japan? No, 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 no. W- worldwide in okay. terms of tours. And it transformed into a film. Okay, and it was right. the film audience that carried it for many years, about 20 years, without actually live performances. Mm-hmm. But this was, v- it, my experience in Japan was being um, suddenly growing to being a celebrity and a rock star and being mobbed at the airport um, because it became such a popular sure. affair mm-hmm. and it, it was many months. Now, um what does Leeds have to do with that? Well, my dear parents are still waiting for me, and they want yeah. to, they want to know the news. And it, uh, when I returned, I then played in the show that had now opened in the West End. That's right. Mm. But I'm just going to take you back very briefly into mm. Japan mm. because uh, there is a theatrical tradition, mm-hmm. you know, associated with Japan, and mm-hmm. that is no right. Correct. And that reminded me. Uh, mm. from your last name, that there is this uh, no theatrical Absolutely. tradition. And so were you sort of, did you get an exposure to that? Were you open to that? Or did it have any impact on the Rocky Horror Show as it went in Japan? The origins of no theatre in, in Japan, I was introduced to in my training. We actually had a master come and teach us and it is a revelation in terms of timing their whole world is about timing and playing with time but they also do a version of mixed media and they've been doing it forever so the musicians spoke they didn't just play their instrument Mm -hmm. the dancers acted they were a character Mm -hmm. not just Mm -hmm. and so on so when you ask was I influenced by it? I suppose it, it's that that awareness. That's right. Mm? Mm-hmm. My awareness, I, I, maybe I, I've got to shock you a bit here, but at my latest physical education college, which I went to in Liverpool, very grand, I am Marsh, all around me these women were training in physical education, but we were studying, 12 of us, dance and drama. Mm-hmm. We were taken to London, Mm-hmm. And what did we see in London? In this week, this enlightened tutor took us to see Hare. Hare had just arrived from San Francisco. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, at that time, you could only be naked by being absolutely still and a statue on the, on the stage, right? This was a censorship thing. So watching this musical, this energy, this story they're telling, oh, my God. And then they emerged from the tent 
naked, standing there, statue. Absolutely oh my goodness, yeah. eye-opening. Little did we know that in 1974 I would be starring in the next shocking show that was grown in London to celebrate the change in censorship laws. So in 1969, you might not be aware of it, mm -hmm. but they suddenly said, OK, you can move. Oh, OK. And these people got together, and these were um, such people as John Lennon or the French um, playwright Ionesco or right. the English journalist Kenneth Tynan. And they mm -hmm. wrote sketches, and they put it together, and they called it O Calcutta. And it was a show that opened in the West End. So following the Rocky Horror Show, mm -hmm. I worked on O Calcutta. How lovely. The same producer right. of the same right. shows. It was a volatile time to be doing things when they are pertinent. They thought the show, O Calcutta, would last six months. I met it, met it in its third year. So the contrast from Nomad Theatre mm -hmm. touring to the West End experience right. and then going to Japan and coming back and playing it in the West End and um, led me to uh, working for many different theatre companies and taking me, you know, the, the, the best um, experience in life is when you work and you travel and you go to these incredible places. So I have spent time in, in Holland for a length of time, mm -hmm. growing shows. Um, uh, one of my, you know, dare we say crazy experiences was, was meeting uh, these six incredible American women called Spider Women. Um, and they had a musician who worked with them who had um, decided to do a bunk, and she just disappeared and left them with this fantastic opera singer with the show to do, a solo show. And so I had this recording, and, and the musician had gone in a huff. So uh, she'd taken everything, the scores, the written scores, with her. And so I was left with the tape, and um, it was all in guitar, and I had to play it on a piano. My, my. And we had to do it the next day. And that's so when I discovered time. my musicianship and the ability to just... Um, that's literally stepping into somebody's mm, shows, mm. you know? It was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. And it was a fabulous performance by the opera singer because she so enjoyed it not being the guitar. I mean, I had no idea why. Well, obviously, they were stuck for a musician to tour with them. But they were an incredible um, bunch of ladies. And, yeah. And that brings me to... <clears throat> the musical part of your professional career, Caroline. Mm. Mm. So music has been such an important part right from your childhood. Mm -hmm. So could you just take us through the lullaby experience? The lullaby experience, I mean, to meet Sir Cameron McIntosh, as we now know him, um, one of the most famous producers, producers. in the world for musical theatre, um, I was involved with the very, very first... Uh, production he ever did called Aftershave. And I say he ever did. We were people who were starring in the West End doing other shows, and we put another show together. Mm -hmm. And um, Aftershave was really a celebration of uh, women and viewpoints. And it was a cast of five women only, mm -hmm. but it was written by men. 
And, um, and hence the title, Aftershave, correct. something which only men use. Correct. And so it was an opportunity to um, be naughty about their own generation, the men. Um, there was a piece called Male Menopause, for example. This is in 1977. My, my. So the song I was uh, gifted with, um, the lullaby, is all about the sad story of the lady being left at home whilst the guy goes off. You know, the age-old story. Uh, and left with the baby. Baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 1991, uh, Cameron's brother, Richard, wanted to celebrate that his brother had already produced 21 fabulous musicals. You know, I mean, this was the start of his career. And he really, you know, Cats, Follies, you name it. And he wanted to produce an album. Mm-hmm. And even though Aftershave only lasted for two weeks and bombed, as they say, because it was out of time. Precisely. You know, it I was, was just way thinking, before the Spice Girls. About things yes. Way ahead of the trend Correct. of the times. Correct. You know? Very daring. Because these things are still being talked about. Correct. All these things are still being discussed in mm-hmm. the society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you basically, you can now. Um, I was invited to sing the song. It is on the album. The album is called Hey, Mr. Producer. So if you wanted to go on Spotify, you say, Caroline, no, and you would listen to it. To Lullaby. To Lullaby. And um, the the reality of being, you know, sitting on that album next to these huge hits, but still Cameron wanted to honour his, his starting point. And there's nothing mm-hmm. like failure as an artist to, to learn a lot, you know, and move on. And if, if I were to request you, Caroline, being a choreographer, being a dancer, musician and an actress, uh, if I were to request you to just hum a couple of lines from Lullaby, will you be able to do that? Or I mean, you have every right to say no. Um. Hush, little baby, your ma's on the brink of finally succumbing to pills and to drink. Your papa's away, cause he's working late. Well, that's what he said with his secretary. Kate. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Caroline. This is really lovely. As a singer, you you have to have really good voice training, right? So that's what I wanted you to know, uh, to to let me know. Um, Is that so important for anybody who's in public life, whether she's a poet, whether she is, uh, you know, or she is a teacher uh, or actress. I mean, there's something that I, I'm, I'm very fascinated about, voice training. Well, I had the so pleasure... So what are the essential ingredients, if you were to say, about anybody who's on stage, who's, who's, whose voice is being heard by people? Uh, well, I think I, uh, my, my roots, uh, I went into Roundhay High School for Girls Hall and sang to the back of the hall over 200 people and was heard by everyone. Um, so my starting point was in this acoustic, the power of the voice. Um, I have had the good fortune 
of working with an absolute legend as she has become, uh, and I'm allowed to speak her name, I hope, Patsy Rodenberg and myself were teachers at Weber Douglas. She was um, voice and I was movement, and as tutors, we overlapped. We were, took interest because it's the same breathing apparatus that you need to be able to sing and dance right. and act at the same time. So um, Patsy then has become, you can Google her, um, the absolute legend of uh, voice training. I have had the pleasure of um, working in Australia as head of voice at the Western Australian Academy for Arts in Perth. Perth, Um, And it was through Patsy's contact that had me working there. So, um, but but my world, um, that's Patsy offering the most incredible uh, groundwork and discovery of, of making voice work accessible to everyone. We all have a voice. It's it's, it's sort of lung power, but it is also working on the modulations of a voice or, uh, I mean, everybody has a certain range, right? And then you you consciously work to to adapt to the environment or to sort of heighten the range. Uh, Are all these things a part of the voice training? They are indeed. And because we breathe every moment of every day, the process of making it technical, you take something and you give it back to yourself. You find that suddenly you can control your breath. Whereas as we are sitting here now, we don't even think about it. Absolutely So because it is one of those fundamentals... And, of course, on the journey of um, any orator, anyone speaking, Mm -hmm. you know, the more understanding of what you want to say and what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. the better your voice will be. Absolutely. (laughs) Skills, I I believe they're in us all. You know, look at a baby. Look at the volume that baby, that little might can make. So when we spend a world of shutting it down, a lot of our um, release of the voice... Enjoying the voice comes from releasing those inhibitions. Caroline, two two questions which spring to my mind is one which you mentioned, you know. Uh, the artistic director of, the first artistic director of Grey Eye. Mm. So uh, could you elaborate on that experience? Because that was another, uh, you know, another activity, another thing which you did, which was really, I think, absolutely... Um, marvelous I, I to my mind. My speciality comes with I, I have a certain daring. So doing original work, doing something for the first time, means you start from a blank page, and that doesn't scare me. And again, I have to put the context of the eighties in but relation. What was Grey Eye? About? Right. What and was this the is impetus the behind it? The impetus was an able-bodied gentleman and a severely disabled gentleman meeting at Surrey University. And uh, Richard and Nabil met in that context, and they wrote a play. And Nabil is um, a gentleman who um, is, you know, severely disabled, 
but has the brain beyond belief and also the talent of an actor. And at the time, England wasn't receptive to a story about disabled people. That's right. And in Canada, they were having a festival, and so the two men wrote to Canada and asked them if they'd be interested in the show. And Canada said yes. So basically, that was the green light to make a show. I meet the company then coming back to England and daring to tour the show. Now, this is an era when theatres were not accessible, let alone, you know, for actors, let alone for audience. So they then reached out and advertised for an artistic director. And they were based at um, an incredible building, the Diorama in Marylebone in, in London, mm -hmm. which is all on one level, so as a building and offered different spaces to work in. So through the Canada experience, they came back and the theatres, like in Hammersmith, the Riverside Studios, was accessible. That was elevating a show from very low fringe status. You usually spent years before your show was exposed at such a venue. And because of its accessibility, it happened there. Plus, the show was amazing and word was getting out. So they advertised for an artistic director and I got the gig. Able-bodied, female, a Yorkshirewoman. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. And my first piece was an adaptation of a Charlotte Bronte novel called Villette. Villette. And um, the lady <coughs> I have mentioned who worked in the who works in the, the voice world, Patsy Rodenberg, did the adaptation. And the story is about disability. Uh, it was Charlotte Bronte's uh, autobiography, really. I think um, it was her last work, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, and she took Lillette. such a long time, gradually going blind. She That's took right. over, it was about eight years, to write it. To write it, yes. And so um, it was steeped in gorgeous things, like a character that glides about. This was the French governess she, she met uh, when she was teaching in, in France. And so when I met this lady, this thalidomide lady who auditioned so well, and I invited her if we could disguise her wheelchair as a Victorian dress, and she could glide about, she loved the idea. So um, the show was um, a mixture of going back in time to mm. Charlotte Bronte's time and telling the story of what she learned. Physical acrobatics and histrionic skills and, of course, based on Bronte's novel. Absolutely. We then leapt into the 20th century, which had then grown up these things called day centres because the disabled community are forever being pigeonholed and but we were trailblazers and I introduced um, a, a tour manager now a tour manager is usually associated with musicians what I needed was this guy to go ahead to the hotels and find accommodation for these wheelchairs which in 1980 diddly squirt was and equally the theatres had to wake up 
and make their green rooms exactly. accessible and make it accessible for accessible. audiences. So we were truly trailblazing in our wake. It was. Um, it was. It was trail. Yeah. So if we step ahead now and uh, talk about the time when you decided to come back to Leeds, and that's the year 2009 or so. Am I right about it? Well, you say come back to Leeds. I've I've never left because of visiting my dear parents, yes. And so my traveling around the world has been the most joyous kind of sharing. Um, they've always been there in terms of absorbing the, the state I'm at, including, for example, working in Australia for a year, but also then um, having a second marriage. And this gentleman was American, and we had met 15 years previous to the year we married. And um, he tracked me down, this was meant to be. And that meant I moved to Berkeley, California at the end of the 20th century. So uh, by the time 2009, I had got used to visiting the UK. I was an American resident, and my whole perspective had changed. However, my dear father was declared terminally ill, and my parents had never been separate, and the idea of my mother, who'd never lived alone, being on her own, was not on in my book. Mm, I was blessed with being able to uh, commute from California, so I literally was spending some time over here and some time over there. So the joy of uh, reacquainting was lovely, but I had had many years away from Leeds. And, and so the growth and the changes around this wonderful city ha have been kind of magnificent to behold. Um, the growth of the arcades being renovated in the 80s. You know, we're, we're looking at the 18th century. Next to, here we are in 2024, the Trinity Centre. Amazing kind of modern-day feat of, of engineering and um, that world coming together. But indeed, I lived in America for 17 years, which is, you know, not a minute. However, I commuted for some years. My dear father passed and I began then needing to focus on the care of my mother. So, um, I'm allowed to say they brought me back to my home city. And the experience of um, commuting also, I, I do report my marriage then, um, was not good, and so I did spend some years closing down America. But it took some years. I, I would say I actually returned myself after my dear mother passed. Uh, which was some eight years later. So um, it was a very isolating experience. It was a very um, important experience to witness how caring for a person at home, the whole world, you know, we're now facing, I was the carer. And my ability to choreograph and direct people became paramount when I went into the world of home care. Mm. And, um, you know, just taking time out, respite. Um, so my return, I, I bless them for that, but it's very isolating. So really, it's only since 2016 I feel like now I am breathing and realizing I'm back in my home city. And um, uh, I'm still very, very curious. You know, at the center of my heart is Roundhay Park, 
So I have been going there since in my mother's womb. It truly is that long. And, and what a creative space. One of my earliest memories is, is there was an outdoor pool at Roundhay Park, the Lido, where the car park is now. But my teenage life there, Roundhay Park, to wind forward to the 21st century, look what's going on there. Fabulous. If you enjoyed this, there are more Shine On podcasts to listen to. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you get your podcasts. You can find more extraordinary stories on our website, articles, interviews, and features by and about fascinating older people in Leeds and Yorkshire. Go to www.theshinemag.com. If you have an idea for a podcast or would like to join the storytelling team, contact us at podcasts at theshinemag.com. Shine On is brought to you by the makers of Shine Magazine with support from Chapel FM. Season 1 is funded by Leeds Inspired. <laughs>